As you recall, a few weeks ago, I began a new series. It's a series that I'm calling The Fruit of Transformation. And I want to add yet another message to that series today as I minister for a little while through a message I'm calling Rescued from the Influence of Dark Shadows. Dark shadows are more than just physical manifestations. We think of them like that, but our thoughts and our emotions can be under the influence of dark shadows also. The word influence means power. It means authority. It means dominion. So let me put it in plain English. How many of you know that a man is three parts, right? Spirit, soul, and body. In our spirit man, we are 100% the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And in our spirit man, we have been rescued. <laughs> We've been rescued from the power and the influence and the dominion, if you will, the living place, if you will, of all darkness. And how do we get delivered by that? Well, Jesus said it in his own words. He says, he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Okay, so it begins with Christ. It certainly ends with Christ. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. So it begins and ends with him. And it, all through the journey, our Christian walk is all about Jesus. Nothing more. It's all about Christ. So every person has a soul. I don't think that's a newsflash to you. We have a mind, we have a will, we have an emotion. That's what your soul is made up out of. And it's in this realm, not our spirit, but in our soulless realm, where we have to contend with the residue of dark shadows that we were imprinted with as we were developing in life. And nobody is exempt from this. Avoiding the imprinting of dark shadows in our souls is like a two-year-old avoiding a mustache when he drinks a glass of milk. It's just not going to happen you're going to end up with it. I mean, it's the nature of life, friends. Let's just be honest with each other, right? Let's just be real. Most of the time, it's just stuff that was forced on us. We didn't even ask for But the good news is that the Father of lights, how many of you know there's a Father of lights? He has made provision to rescue us from the influence of these dark shadows, the dark shadows in our souls. And it's really all part of the transformation process. We are being transformed moment by moment. How many of you know that light always triumphs over the darkness. <laughs> darkness can't triumph over light. Darkness always is displaced. It's always dispersed. It's always moved out of the way when light comes forth. I'm familiar with how the book of John opens up. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And it says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. What's happening here is, yes, Jesus' light is shining into those dark areas of our minds and our soulish realm, and sometimes we don't understand. We don't understand what he's trying to say. Friends, this is where it's so important to meditate on God's Word. Don't try to conquer the entire Bible. Just meditate on it. Sometimes, as I've said before, I'll take a scripture and I will ruminate on that scripture for a week and just extract the nutrients out of it and just the revelation out of it. My job is not to conquer the Bible. <laughs> I allow the Bible to conquer me. I allow His Word to conquer me, and He does a great job doing that. Jonah was rescued while in the belly of a whale. Joseph was rescued while in the depths of a pit. 
Lazarus was rescued while in the confines of a tomb. Now let me ask you a question. What do all of these rescues have in common? They were all rescued while in a dark place. How many of you know it doesn't get any darker than the belly of a whale? I mean, everywhere you turn, you got blubber. You can't see through that. It was dark in the belly of that whale. In a pit, in a cistern, in an old dried up well, you're in the bottom of that. And the only way you can look up, you see a glimmer of light. But do you think Joseph had any hope in the bottom of that well? I don't know if he did or not, to be honest with you. The only hope he may have had is the dreams that he had had. And he thought, man, my life can't end right now. I've had some dreams. And these dreams have not come to pass. And so maybe that gave him hope, but he was in a dark place. And how many of you know it doesn't get any darker than a cemetery? Lazarus was in a dark place. They're all pits is what they are. How many of you would agree with me that when shadows show up unexpectedly, they scare the bejeebies out of you, don't they? <laughs> they do, don't they? You want to know why? Because we've come to know over the years that every time we see a shadow, there's an object behind it. And if we can't explain the shadow, we want to know what is the object that's casting the shadow. We've learned that. And we don't do well with unexpected objects. How many of you know that the trepidation of shadows is amplified right after you've just watched a scary movie? Now, I don't watch scary movies, to be honest with you. I just don't. But I remember when I was in a foster home, when I was six and seven years old, and uh, one of the foster homes I lived in, I lived in two different ones. One of them, the older brother loved to watch scary movies, Saturday night. And so me and the little brother would go to his room. We'd get up there and we'd watch Frankenstein and Dracula and Wolfman. I mean, creatures of darkness. We would watch them. And you know what? I didn't used to think anything about going down the basement stairs until I started watching those movies. <laughs> you know? And every time I'd go down the basement stairs, going down wasn't terrible. Coming back up, come on, that was the worst thing. I always felt like something was going to reach through the stairs and grab me by the ankles. Did you ever feel that way? Am I the only one? I would be coming up those stairs so fast as a little seven-year-old, just skipping up those stairs. And I thought, wow, I've been down these basement stairs 50, 60, 80, 100 times, and he hadn't got me yet. If he was going to get me, he'd get me on the first time, wouldn't he? He wouldn't wait till later. But see, that's rational thinking. And we're talking about we're dealing with the emotions. We're dealing with a mindset that doesn't always communicate with the logical side of us. Those movies used to mess with me because those images got in my head and they set my emotions on edge. You see, what they did is they programmed my thoughts and imaginations to run rampant with untruths. In other words, we are often afraid of things that we shouldn't be afraid of. We're afraid of things we shouldn't be afraid of. Many believers are afraid of God because their emotions have been set on edge, programmed with the untruths about him and influenced by the dark shadows of old covenant ideology. And to be able to separate old covenant from new covenant is a hard mindset for people. Most people don't realize they need to do that. But we do. We need to do that. We need to separate the Old Covenant from the New Covenant. Believers have carelessly and unknowingly inserted a scary God into a Hallmark movie, a movie that's supposed to have a heartwarming ending. They have understood him as the God who is out to get them when they fail. Friends, God is not out to get you when you fail. 
And because we all occasionally fail in thought, word, or deed, we think, oh, he's out to get me. No, he says, I want you to come to the throne of grace. He said, at the throne of grace, it's made for people that fail. It's made for any time you want to come. He said, but I'm going to tell you something. Every single time you come, you're going to find mercy and you're going to find grace to help you in your time of need. Is that what the scripture says? That's exactly what it says. The problem with this viewpoint that God is out to get you is it's just not scriptural. Not under the new covenant. It's just not scriptural. He wants to help us in our time of needs. What I want us to see through the message today is this. We don't have to be afraid of shadows. We've been rescued from them. We don't have to be afraid of the object that casts the shadows. We've been delivered from them. And we certainly do not need to be afraid of God. He is for us. He is not against us. We have been rescued from the dominion of darkness and we have been translated into the son he loves. I'm talking about the son of light, pure light, pure love, pure peace, pure holiness. This is who we live inside of. We live inside of Christ who is so beautiful and so majestic and so harmless to us. The transformation that is at work in us is more revealing. It becomes more obvious. It becomes more evident as we shed the skin of fear, guilt, shame, and condemnation. They're all creatures of darkness, friends. And all the creatures of darkness, guess what? They have been defeated. <laughs> friends, we have the Father of lights living on the inside of us with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. What in the world does that mean? No variableness, neither shadow of turning. Now, when's the last time someone asked you, how you doing? You say, well, there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. They look at you and go, what in the world are you saying? You know, there's a scripture for that. That comes from James chapter one and verse 17. Let's take a look at this scripture. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Let me see if I can just break this scripture down. It's, it's so simple to understand. It says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Where's from above? Well, in case you don't remember, it says, it cometh down from the Father of lights. So we're talking about the good gifts and the perfect gifts come from God. They come from our daddy, come from our father. The opposite of a good gift is a bad gift, isn't it? Does God give bad gifts? No, it says he gives good gifts. It says, every good gift is from the Father above. The opposite of a perfect gift is a flawed gift. Does God give flawed gifts? No, he's made us flawless too. He's given us perfect gifts. And it says, with whom there is no variableness. Let's look at the word variableness and see what it means. It means fickleness, changeability, especially in regard to one's loyalties or affections. I love this because when it talks about the variableness here in this scripture, James 1.17, it says there is none of this. So you can take this to the bank. In God, there's no changeability. There's no fickleness. He's not up one moment and down the next. He's not scattered emotions all over the place. He is steady. And I love the fact that it says, especially in regard to one's loyalties and affections. Friends, there's no fickleness in the Father of lights. He does not change. He remains loyal to us. He remains affectionate to us at all times. The transformation of our soul, including our emotions, is rooted really in his constancy, that we can see God is a consistent, he's a constant God. He's predictable in a lot of ways, but rooted in his constancy. 
and his loyalty and his affection. And the scriptures declare that. That's the kind of heart our daddy has for us. There is no variableness in God. The scriptures say, I am the Lord. I change not. Now, the shadow of turning. What is that? This is commonly understood to mean that there is in God not the faintest hint or shade of change. And I'm happy about that because I can trust him that he's not moving all over the place. He's not trying to embellish things. He says it what he means. He means what he says. And in this scripture, it's just that. It means what it says. This is not metaphor. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Every good and perfect gift is from the Father of lights. How many of you guys remember Clark Kent? <laughs> I haven't thought about him till yesterday, but how many of you guys remember him? He was a reporter, a common man, until he stepped inside of a phone booth, right? And then he turned into Superman. You know what he did? He transformed is what he did. Clark Kent becomes Superman in a phone booth. Now, he did this on special occasions when he had to deal with villains of darkness when they were present. Friends, Jesus didn't wear a costume. Jesus wore a crown. Jesus wore a cross on his back. And guess what he did? He defeated the villains of darkness. He defeated the villains of sin through his cross, through his crown. And so he's not one moment changing into a costume to say, I'm going to perform some great and miracle thing. No, it's a finished work. He's already done it. It is finished. It's over with. It's done. And so growing up in a family of, of five children, four boys and a girl, I remember the early days. We would take one of mom's towels and we'd get one of those big safety pins and we'd pin a towel on the backside of us and we'd jump off the couch and fly all over the room thinking we were Superman or something like that. So when this little boy dresses up in a Superman costume, something changes in that very moment just the way he thinks. I mean, he's not actually Superman, but you can't convince him any different. Something has changed. Inside. Why can't we change like that? Why can't we take the truths of God that we are the righteousness of God in Christ? We are the holiness of God in Christ. We are a son of God through Christ Jesus. Why can't we get that truth so deep seated in our heart that we cannot be moved? Well, because these dark shadows like to blow in every once in a while. And see, they're programmed in certain ways to make you fearful. And fear is just a faith crusher. That's why the Bible says that love, perfect love, casts out all fear. <laughs> perfect love. Who's got the perfect love? <laughs> Jesus. Daddy's got the perfect love. And guess what? He gives us this perfect love. You can't give away anything you don't have. He's given us what he already has, what he already possesses, what he already is. And so, yeah, we used to jump around all the time with those little capes on. Friends, let me tell you something. We don't need to wear a cape. We wear a robe. <laughs> we wear a robe. It's a robe of righteousness. And it's not a robe that we take off and put on. We wear it continuously all the time. The robe of righteousness comes with power. It comes with authority. It comes with dominion. It comes with an attitude. It comes with miracle, working, wonderful power. So when the scripture tells us that every good and perfect gift is given to us by the Father of lights, again, it's not using metaphor there. 
It's not embellishing something there. It's not speaking in non-literal ways. It's not just a cape over humanity. We are transformed into the image of his dear son and immediately rescued from the influence of dark shadows. Therefore, the good gift of salvation through the perfect work and the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ comes to us as a gift. And guess what? This gift can never be revoked. It can never fade. It can never chip. It can never perish. It can never be changed. We are given good and perfect gifts from the Father of lights. In fact, we are surrounded by light. There's not just light on the back side of me. There's not light off to one side of me, on the front side of me. We are surrounded by light. The light lives on the inside of us. And so we are emanating. We are shining forth his light. So there is no variableness on the inside of us. There is no shadow of turning on the inside. There is only light, pure light living on the inside of us. His name is Jesus. One thing I've seen over the years is that daddy specializes. I mean, I've watched him do this so many times. Specializes in rescuing people in their dark places. The scriptures tells us that we have been rescued out of the kingdom of darkness and translated into the son he loves. So he translates in a moment, but he transforms over a lifetime. See, we want everything all up front. We want all the manifestations. We want all of our behavior to be perfect right up front. Friends, transformation takes time. And it's the revelation of God's goodness that he's not hiding under the staircase trying to get you. It's the revelation of his love for us that begins to transform us. That, Like Valerie said, he's not mad at us. The dark shadows, the tough spots that we find ourselves in while walking through life, all they are is incubators of transformation. That's where it starts at, friends. And you know what? I've never seen a baby stay in an incubator forever. They grow up and out of it, and we are growing in this grace. The Apostle Paul was acquainted with dark shadows, but he also knew the transforming power and authority of God. Now, as you read Romans chapter 7, I'm not going there just yet, but as you read Romans chapter 7, the way I used to see it was, well, Paul is always, he's got this struggle with sin. He's talking about, man, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, those are the very things I do. That sounds like you, doesn't it? That sounds like me. That sounds like us. That sounds like we. It does. It sounds like all of us because, you know, I used to say, hey, man, you know, Paul gets up in the morning and he makes two lists. These are the things I'm going to do. These are the things I'm not going to do. And at the end of the day, I have no checks on this one over here. And I've checked off all the things I said I wasn't going to do. And I used to think, wow, I'm in good company. Paul used to do the same thing. Did you ever look at those scriptures like that? So when you read Romans chapter 7, it almost sounds like if you don't understand the context of it, it almost sounds like you can hear the agony in Paul's words. It seems as though Paul had conceded that he would be wrestling with these dark shadows, the balance of his life. But may I remind you again that light never has to wrestle with darkness. It just has to shine forth and darkness is dismissed. So Romans chapter 7 is actually about the Apostle Paul. What he's doing, he's actually looking into the rearview mirror of his life. And he says, this is what my life used to look like under the law prior to his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. 
So Paul takes his readers on a journey so that they can see that transformation had taken place in his life. And friends, transformation is beautiful. My son Tyler and I spent last night, I mean, we went to Menards at 7 o'clock at night to get stuff to work on electrical. And I'm thinking, I'm supposed to be working on a sermon, but I want to hang out with my son. (laughs) And so I'm thinking, it's 7 o'clock at night. What are we going to get done? My projects, if I start at 7 o'clock in the morning, wouldn't be done at 7 o'clock at night. Are you sure, son? But then I watched him skillfully diagnose this electrical problem that we were having. I just marveled as I watched him. And I came to this revelation. He has transformed. He knows stuff about electrical. He's an electrician. You weren't born that way, son. No, I was wearing everything for you in the beginning. Now you're wiring stuff for me. But see, this is transformation for you. Stuff comes along and you learn as you go. You learn what works and what doesn't work. And you learn this gospel of grace and how good the father is and how that he's just a father of lights. In him, there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. We gather hope knowing that, wow, I'm never going to encounter my daddy on a dark day when he's in a bad mood. He's always in a good mood. He's in a good mood. So Paul is taking his readers on this journey as he's looking into the rearview mirror and he's seeing the transformation that has taken place in his life. I believe it's penned there so that it brings us hope so that we can go, wow. Okay, Paul, you went through a tough time. You're bearing your soul right here. Yeah, you went through a hard time. It was a snapshot in time, if you will, but God had rescued Paul, what did he rescue him from? He rescued Paul from the dreadful and dark shadows of the law, eclipsed by the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do we know that? How do we know that the apostle Paul is not struggling with sin? How do we know that he's not on some sort of mission where he's looking for sin? How do we know what Paul's ongoing struggle is? Context. That's how. Now again, we're in chapter seven, right? But did you know leading up to that, how many of you know you got to go through chapter six? Chapter 6 always comes before chapter 7. But in Romans chapter 6, he tells us we are dead to sin. Not on life support, dead. Not on hospice, dead. He says you are dead to sin. Come on, man. Isn't that good news? I don't like the dead part, but I love being dead to sin. Listen, these are not my words. These are his words. He said you are dead to sin. Now, come on, friends, let a flower blossom in your mind for a second there, would you? Because that is so beautiful. He says you're dead to sin. In that same chapter, he says you were crucified with Christ. In that same chapter, he says we are no longer slaves to sin. He says that we are no longer under the law, but we are under grace and that we have been set free from sin. And I love what he says. And God has made you slaves to righteousness. (laughs) I got you on that one, didn't I? He's made us slaves to righteousness. That means I am chained to righteousness. Remember when you used to lock your little brothers and sisters up and pretend like you ate the key and the key's all gone? Friends, listen to me. The key is gone. You are a slave to righteousness. He's made us a slave to righteousness. 
Paul tells us that we have been united with Christ in resurrection power. Friends, I don't need a Superman cape. I've got resurrection power. And guess where it lives? On the inside of me. Not on the outside, on the inside of me. Oh, it makes its way to the outside, but it lives on the inside. I'd rather have it on the inside working out than on the outside working in, wouldn't you? Amen. Happiness comes from the outside in. Joy comes from the inside out. It's a fruit of the Spirit. I'm not looking for things to make me happy. I'm a happy manufacturing plant. I've got joy on the inside of me. Amen. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Does this really sound like a man who's struggling with sin? Does Paul really, in chapter 7, does it really sound like a man who's struggling with sin after you read chapter 6? No, it doesn't at all. Not a bit. Is Paul trying to somehow arrange some sort of family reunion with the law? Absolutely not. Does Paul really come across like a man that's fighting with dark shadows? Not at all. You see, dead men are not concerned about breaking the laws. Did you notice that? <laughs> They're not concerned about breaking the laws. Dead men are not afraid of darkness. And dead men don't struggle with sin. And I think Paul takes us on that journey to say, look, you're dead to sin. Quit struggling with it. Because in your struggle, you're going to find yourself deeper into it. You've got to rest in Christ. You've got to come to his rest. You know, it won't do you any good if you get in quicksand and you start struggling and fighting your way. You're just going to get deeper into that stuff. You've got to rest and just work your way out of that, man. You really do. He's not struggling with sin. After Paul establishes the realities of our new covenant in chapter 6, then he releases the words that we were talking about in chapter 7. Please remember, as I read some of the chapter 7 here, that Paul is looking into the rearview mirror of his life. Romans chapter 7, beginning at verse 14. This is a hard read right here because, again, if you don't read it in context, you think, man, the apostle Paul is having this struggle. What hope do I have? He's looking in the rearview mirror. Here's what he says. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Wait, wait a second now. Paul is unspiritual? That'd be like Elvis Presley saying, I can't sing. No, it just doesn't fit. Paul is very spiritual. He said, for the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Wait a minute, what happened to the slave to righteousness? You can't be both. You're either one or the other. He says, sold as a slave to sin. And then here he goes. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do, that's what he does, okay? And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Seems like, man, there's just a struggle going on here. Seems like there's a real battle here. Next scriptures. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, he says, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, 
evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, he's saying, look, in my core, in the depths of my heart, in my inner man, he says, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Now look what he says next. He says, what a wretched man I am. That's pretty hard language, isn't it? There's a word we don't use very often, but it means despicable. It means worthless. I just don't remember the last time I said, man, I'm just despicable. I'm just worthless. I got over that a long time ago, friends. When I came to the revelation of who I was in Jesus Christ, I'm not despicable. I'm not worthless. And Paul is saying, what a wretched man I am. And then he asks this question. He says, who will rescue me from the body that is subject to death? The Apostle Paul has just taken his readers on a lengthy diatribe of anguish and hopelessness. And at the end, the Apostle Paul asks the rhetorical question, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? In other words, who will rescue me from the influence of dark shadows? Paul knew that the law couldn't rescue him or make him perfect. And that's why he didn't say, what will rescue me? Do you notice that? He said, who, not what? So he knew, let's get the law out of the way, because I've been under the law for a lot of years. And he said, that doesn't do it. Let's just get it out of the way, folks. The law cannot rescue me. So he says, who? I've tried all the what's. I've tried all the where's and the wins and the witches. I've tried it all. Now I've got to think differently. I've got to change my mind. Who will rescue me, he says, from this body that is subject to death? In Hebrews chapter 7, verses 18 and 19, we find these words. And I'll come back to Paul in just a second. He says, the former regulation is set aside. Now, friends, what is the former regulation? It's the law. Just that simple. It's the Mosaic law. He says, the former regulation is set aside. Why was it set aside? Look at those words. Because it was weak and useless. I wish I could take credit for writing those words, but I can't. The writer of Hebrews beat me to it. Friends, look, we need to take stock in this. We need to really pay attention to this kind of stuff. This will set you free. He said the former regulation, that is the law, he says was weak and it was useless. Look what he says in case you didn't know what he was talking about. He says, for the law made nothing perfect. Friends, you could have a daisy growing up out of the ground, missing one petal, and the law couldn't do a thing for it. It says the law made nothing perfect because it wasn't designed to make you perfect. Now, when I read stuff like this, it grabs my attention because I go, wait a minute now. I mean, that's a bold statement to say that the law made nothing perfect. Surely it gets credit for something, doesn't it? No, it says the law made nothing perfect. Yet it was perfect. It was good. It was holy. It was righteous, but it made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. I love this right here. So he says the former regulation, the law, is set aside. Set aside does not mean a few inches to the left or a few inches to the right. It does not mean that the law is still within reach. The setting aside there in the Greek literally means disannulled. It literally means a total abrogation, totally abolished. 
That's what it means when it says the law was set aside. We kind of cleaned up the language a little bit when we said the law was set aside. No, friends, abrogation, disannulled, totally abolished. Friends, choosing the law over the new covenant of grace will keep you under the influence of dark shadows. You'll never find sobriety under the law. Choosing the law over the new covenant of grace is as preposterous as a starving man choosing a teddy bear sprinkled with sugar rather than a bowl of broccoli. <laughs> Think about that for a second. See, it doesn't matter whether you like broccoli or not. Found in broccoli is nutrition. It's got some life in it. A sugar teddy bear has nothing in it. Zero calories, zero nutrition. Get that picture in your head for a second. But because the little sugar teddy bear tastes so good, sometimes people say, yeah, that's exactly what I want. No, friends. It's holding hands with Moses. Now, it doesn't matter if you prefer a checklist of do's and don'ts. There is no nutrition in a list. You want to know how I know that? Valerie makes out a grocery list every week, but never eats it. She does. If I came home one night and I said, honey, what's for supper? She said, well, it's the grocery list. I would go, what? Are you kidding me? There's no nutrition in a list of do's and don'ts. There's no nutrition in a grocery list. We need substance. We need Christ. We need his goodness and his glory. So in case you think there's benefit in eating your little list of do's and don'ts, friend, I just encourage you. I just challenge you to try your grocery list next time. I want to see if it satisfies you, okay? Friends, the teddy bear sprinkled with sugar might taste good to you now, but it has zero sustainability. It will not satisfy. And so it is with the law. It will not satisfy. It seems like it's good for a second because you've got your metric in place and you can check your boxes. I've done this, this, and this, but go back to what Paul said. He said, the things I said I wanted to do, I didn't do. And the things I said I wouldn't do, those are the very things I did. That's why Valerie doesn't let me go grocery shopping. I don't end up with all the stuff on the list. I bring stuff home that's not on the list. And sometimes she says, that's my fear is you won't bring home the stuff that's not on the list and only I would know about it when I get in the store. So you get to stay home while I go grocery shopping. Isn't that the way it works? That's the way it works, friends. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16, we find these words. Know that a person, look at this man, is not justified by the works of the law. Please underscore those words in your heart this morning. You are not justified. That means you are not declared right in God's eyes. You are not made righteous. You are not made holy. Paul wrote these words. Paul spent time with Jesus. Jesus taught him post-resurrection. He says, know that a person is not, is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, friends, if we could be made right by any other way, I think the Apostle Paul should have added it right there, shouldn't he? But he didn't do it. He said, friends, you are made right. You are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Friends, let go of the hand of that little teddy bear. We are not justified by the works of the law because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Now that just puts everybody in one big group, doesn't it? Are you a one? Yeah, sure you are. And it says no one will be justified by the works of the law. No one. 
I don't care how big, how tall, how skinny, how small you are. No one is justified by the works of the law. Why do I love that so much? Because grace becomes so more of a beautiful gift. I see the good gift now. I see the perfect gift now. A gift that I can't mess up. A gift that I can't tear up. A gift that won't walk out on me. I love this. And so when I see how precious this gift really is and how perfect this gift really is, you know what it does? It makes me fall in love with Jesus all the more. Friends, I want you to look at those flowers right there. Aren't they beautiful? Daddy made those. And guess what? Before he created the earth, he knew about those exact flowers. And he said, I'm going to put them together in an arrangement someday. I'm going to lay that in your heart to give them to you, Valerie Testerman as a birthday gift on June 27th of 2021. Isn't Daddy thoughtful? Isn't he thoughtful? But friends, as beautiful as those flowers are, I mean, I always marvel when I look at flowers. The lily to me is probably my favorite flower, but roses are awful pretty too, right? And that baby's breath and all that other beautiful stuff that brings it all together. Friends, do you think that bouquet of flowers is more beautiful than you to, to God? No, he looks at you and he sees a cornucopia of colors. And he says, look at my children. Aren't they beautiful? And the angels sing in agreement. And they say, God, your children are beautiful because you've given us the eyes to see them the way you see them. God sees us as beautiful. We're beautiful in his eyes. And if you try to justify yourself by the works of the law, it'll be like wilted flowers. They'll just all be sagging. They'll just all be droopy and flagging all over the place. Friends, you can't justify yourself by the law. Let go of it. Live life and see good days. You cannot live life and see good days by trying to justify yourself by the law. It's eating your grocery list. It's eating your checklist of do's and don'ts. So let's ask the question. Come on now. <laughs> I'm going to make you in your head answer this question, okay? I'm going to give you about five seconds, maybe seven, maybe ten. I'm going to give you a few seconds to answer this question. What is your definition of the law? And if we took time, we passed out paper and pencils, and I said, everybody in here, I want you to write out your definition of the law. We'd probably still be all over the board. I don't know if there'd be two people in here that would write out the exact same word. Some people would mean the same thing, but we'd be all over the place. What's your definition of the law? Well, I'll tell you what the definition of the law is, because whether we look in the Old Testament or we look in the New Testament, the word law refers to the commands and the regulations of the Mosaic Covenant. Now, did the scripture I just read over here tell us? What did it say to us? It said, no one is justified by the works of the law. Very important there. No one's justified. That means not a single person will be declared righteous by the commandments. You are not made right by the commandments. You are made right by the blood of Jesus Christ. The law was a temporary cape. That's all it was. But grace clothes us with an eternal robe of righteousness. When the prodigal son came home, daddy didn't tell his servants to go get Superman's cape. No, daddy said, go get the robe. In fact, he said, go get the best robe. Whose robe was that? It was daddy's robe. It was the father's robe. He said, and the servants knew exactly what he was talking about when he used that adjective best. He said, 
I want you to go and get the best robe. Daddy didn't say, just go find a robe. No, no. Daddy said, I want you to go get the best robe. And I want you to put that robe on him. And this robe reminds us of our righteousness. It reminds us that we've been made right in Christ. I love this. I'm wearing a robe of righteousness. Can you see it? Come on. It's on me. The law was a conditional agreement with God. It was a bilateral agreement with God. You know what bilateral means? It means a joint agreement. It's like somebody co-signed something. It means both people have responsibility. It was a conditional and bilateral agreement with God that God made with the Israelites. Now, it's very important to hear this, not the Gentiles. He made this covenant with the Israelites, not the Gentiles. The law included the Ten Commandments, all the moral laws, all the ceremonial laws, all the civil laws that governed the lives of the Israelites in their covenant relationship with God. Friends, I've got some good news for you again. Let me just repeat myself. You can let go of the hand of your sugar teddy bear, okay? And put your hand in the hand of the man who stilled the waters. Remember that song? Put your hand in the hand of the man who calmed the seas. Amen? <laughs> we can do that. We sure can. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 14, we find these words. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's a much shorter list. That looks like my grocery list right there, friends. But the Apostle Paul said for the law, that is the Ten Commandments, the moral law, the civil law, the dietary laws, all the laws, he said, it's all fulfilled in one Word, even this, he says, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. <laughs> That's it? <laughs> That's all? You know, some people would get up and walk out if that's all they came for, to hear something like that. They say, that ain't enough. God said it's enough. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You know, if you just wake up in the morning going, you know, my mission today is just to love. I guarantee you won't go to bed disappointed. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. That I'm going to express love everywhere I go in kind things, in kind words, in kind gestures, in, in my attitude, in the things I do, in the things I say. I'm just going to express love. You will not go to bed disappointed. The Old Covenant law included loving God but it was not primarily about just love. You see, I can go to my workplace and I can work there and I can not love a single person that works for the company I work for. I can even go so far to say I don't love my job. And guess what? <laughs> At the end of the day, my supervisor would say, you know what? We didn't hire you to love people here. We hired you to work here. We didn't hire you to even love your job. Whether you love your job or not, it's immaterial. So I can do all that stuff and not express love. But the new covenant law works by love. Daddy's love, neighbor love. This is how it works. Isn't that simple? Daddy's love, love for humanity. Back to Hebrews chapter 7, verses 18 through 22. The former regulation is set aside. Remember, it was disannulled, abrogated. 
because it was weak and useless for the law made nothing perfect and a better hope was introduced by which we draw near to God. Now look, he adds these to it. He says, and it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he, that, now they're talking about Christ here, became a priest with an oath. When God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Remember, he's not fickle. He's not all over the place. He's not changing. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. And we can say, I am a son forever. I am a daughter forever. I am the righteousness of God forever. I have eternal life forever. You are a priest forever because of this oath. I love this part. Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. I know what that word means because I work in the, the world of finance and at times, people have to have a guarantor. That means the business wants to buy it, but the business has bad credit. And so the person who owns the business has to be the guarantor. That means they have to sign on the dotted line too. So if the business closes, they're still coming after the guarantor. So they're making sure they got all their I's and dotted and their T's crossed. Let's look at what a guarantor is. It's a person, organization, or a thing that guarantees something. Now, what did it say just before that? It says Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Forget about the organization. Forget about the thing. This is the person that guarantees something. What is he guaranteeing? He's guaranteeing the covenant. He's guaranteeing that his father is going to keep the covenant with his own son, Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor Mark, what are the benefits of knowing that Jesus is our guarantor? How about peace? How about rest? Friends, I'd rather have peace and rest than a bank full of money and no rest, no peace. So the benefit of knowing that I've got a better covenant and Jesus is the guarantor of this covenant brings me peace. It brings me rest. Even if we default, he is still responsible for our debt. So our covenant is not held together by what we do. It's held together by what he's done. He is the guarantor of a better covenant. Does it put you in there anywhere? Does it say you and he are the guarantors? No, he is the guarantor of the better covenant. Friends, understanding that Jesus is our guarantor, you know what it does? It takes the Frankenstein out of our closet. It takes the Dracula out of our basement. It takes the Wolfman out from behind our staircase and lets us be at rest, lets us be at peace, removes the shadows of darkness, Jesus is our guarantor. He is the one who has rescued us from the influence of dark shadows. The Apostle Paul knew that the law couldn't rescue him from the dark shadows. And he knew that he couldn't rescue himself from the dark shadows. Because in those verses I read in chapter 7, those 12 verses, did you know that almost 30 times he used the personal pronoun I? I can't do this! That's what he's saying. I can't do this. The law can't do this. He needed someone greater than the law or himself, and he needed Jesus, the guarantor of a better covenant. And then Paul reveals the person behind his hope. Remember, I left you hanging on the cliff a second ago when Paul asked that question about being a wretched man, who's going to rescue him? And he reveals the one who rescued him. Romans chapter 7, 
Last two verses, 24 and 25. He says, what a wretched man am I who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. And then he said, thanks be to God. You know, we would say, good grief. I finally found out who it is. He said, thanks be to God who delivers me. That literally means who rescues me. He delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Friends, chapter 7 ends with those words, that diatribe he took us on. I, 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 who, 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 what, what, what? No, it ends with those words. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, does the first verse in Romans chapter 8 make sense? This is where he's going. This is his crescendo moment. Look at this. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Remember what I told you what therefore means? Therefore means for that reason. You know what therefore does? Does exactly what Paul did. Looks in the rear view mirror. And it says, I'm looking at Jesus. I'm looking at Christ alone. And that scripture says, he's the one who's delivered us. He's the one who's rescued us. I don't have to call myself a wretched man. I'm not despicable. I'm not worthless. He said, it's that reason. It's Christ. He's the one who's delivered me. Therefore, for that reason, looking back going, there's Christ who delivered me, who rescued me, and it's that reason that I will stand and preach the gospel. That reason Christ delivered me from the dominion of darkness. Christ rescued me from this body of death. So awesome. Friends, we have no dependency on the law. We have no need for our own cake. No need for hospice. No need for our sugared teddy bears. Our Hallmark movies, our Hallmark lives have a heartwarming ending in Christ Jesus. So the purpose of the law was to detect and condemn sin. That was the purpose of it. But it had no power or authority to rescue us from it, to deliver us from it. No power, no authority. Just always wanting to point a finger at you and tell you you failed. You didn't live up to it. You're despicable. You're worthless. It was his job to, to point out sin. It, it was like a metal detector. Sin, looking for sin all the time, you know? And it would find it very easily. And then we would fall under condemnation. So the purpose of the law was to detect and condemn us when we sinned, the Israelites in particular. But I had no power, no authority to deliver us from it. Only through the crown, only through the cross of Christ are we rescued from the influence of dark shadows. Now I want to talk about these shadows for a second. A shadow consists of two things, light and an object. If you remove the light, you have total darkness. There is no shadow in darkness. You see how that works? Now let's bring back the light and remove the object for a second. You have no shadow either. How do I know? Because the shadow comes from the object. You take away the object, there's no shadow. And you'll find that if you take away the object, that the shadow disappears simultaneously. I've never seen where you take away the object and then the shadow leaves an hour later. You ever seen that? 
It just leaves at the very same time. You see, the shadow is the very image of the object, and without the object, there is no shadow. I wrote this on my Facebook the other day. I said, if you were to see the shadow of a cross, you'd recognize it, wouldn't you? Nothing looks like a cross. You don't see a shadow of a cross and think, well, that, that kind of looks like a giraffe. No, a cross looks like a cross. But did you know that you could examine the shadow of the cross all day long? Now imagine you're down on your hands and knees and you're just examining it with a magnifying glass even. You're examining the shadow of the cross, but I'm telling you, you could examine it all day long and you would never know if that cross is made out of metal or plastic or wood or even solid gold. Furthermore, you can never know the color of the cross by looking at the shadow. If you painted the cross white, the shadow would appear. If you painted the cross black, the shadow would appear. There would be no way to know what color, if it's behind you, what color the cross is by looking at its shadow. They cast the same shadow. And I thought as the Holy Spirit was putting that in my heart, putting that image in my mind, I thought, wow, every human being we look at should be looked at through the shadow of the cross. Jesus died for the whole world. All lives matter. You could never know if the cross is bloodstained by looking at its shadow. You see, a yellow banana doesn't cast a yellow shadow. What is my point? The shadow is the image of something, but the details are obscured. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. Out of all the things it could have picked to tell you about a shadow, it picks the law. It says the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it. What's the it? <laughs> the law. The law, the shadow. Yeah, the law is casting the shadow. He says it can never by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year make perfect those who draw near to worship friends you can wear yourself all out all day long chasing shadows but you'll never make yourself perfect what is this verse communicating to us it's telling us that the law cannot transform a man into perfection the law was only a shadow of the good things that were coming and have now already come as believers in christ jesus we are no longer under the law the law has been removed, yet many believers suffer withdrawals because they are so used to romancing the shadow. You know, I've gone out to eat thousands of times in my 60 years of life. And guess what? My shadow went with me every time. You would have thought at least on one of those occasions, my shadow would have offered to buy my lunch. <laughs> but it never did. My shadow has never combed my hair. My shadow has never tied my shoes. My shadow has never driven my car. My shadow has never mowed my grass. When I'm mowing my grass, every time I stop, my shadow stops. My shadow imitates what I'm doing, but never helps. Imitates, but never helps. And so it is with the law. It will go through the motions, but never help you. That's so important, friends. It'll go through the motions in your mind, but never help you. 
My shadow will watch a scary movie with me. My shadow will scale the basement stairs with me. My shadow will repeat everything I do endlessly year after year, but my shadow will never defend me. <laughs> but Jesus will. My shadow will never defend me. Did you know that your shadow will never fight for you or rescue you? Never. Now, I've had brothers that stepped in front of me when somebody was picking on me and say, you pick on me. I've had friends that have done that when I was growing up in school. I was a very little guy, and people picked on me a lot. And I had a big friend, man, and my friend would defend me all the time. You know, people trying to pick on me. He'd just step in front of me and say, pick on me. But my shadow never did that. And the Bible says the law is only a shadow of the things that are to come, not the realities themselves. Never defend you. We are rescued from the influence of dark shadows by one source. Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Did you know that you can cast so much light that it takes away all the shadow? See, a shadow just means that on the backside of the object, there's not enough light. It's not seeing enough light. But if you put light all around the object, there's no shadow. Did you know you can strike a match and you can see that flame coming off that match? But if you look at the shadow on the wall, there's no flame that you can see. There's no shadow in light, friends. Only beauty, only perfection, only glory in Christ. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said these words. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. I love that scripture. You know when he said that? He said that right after he set the woman free in adultery. Immediately after he dismissed her and he said, go and sin no more. In other words, he's saying, I'm empowering you to leave your life of darkness. That's why it says, then spake Jesus again. He was teaching when he was interrupted and then spake Jesus again unto them saying, did you see that? I'm the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. What was Jesus saying? He was telling us that we have a choice. We can walk in darkness or we can be rescued from the influence of dark shadows by following him. Following him. We follow Jesus when, listen to me, when by faith, we believe what he says. Jesus is the one who said, my father loves you. Where did he say that at? John chapter three. Jesus is the one who said, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them from my hand. He said that in John chapter 10. Jesus is the one who said, I am the light of the world. John chapter eight, verse 12. Jesus is the one who said, a person who has had a bath Needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. He said that in John chapter 13, in that upper room, dark, just a little bit of candlelight going on, washing his disciples' feet. He said, this is a great time to tell you if you've had a bath, you only need to wash your feet. I've already perfected you on the inside. I've made you right. Unfortunately, we are taught that we need to add to Jesus' finished work in order to maintain the good and perfect gifts that the Father of Lights has given us. We need to add more love. We need to add more life. We need to add more light. 
We need to add more longer. This is our feeble attempt to add sugar to his finished work, friends. We don't have to add any sugar to his finished work. He finished it. It's done. Get that in our hearts this morning. It's over with. Friends, thinking that we have to add to Jesus' finished work, that mentality comes from the dark shadows of the objects that have been erected, really, only in our minds. Alienated there, not in our spirits, but only in our minds. Friends, as Jesus was coming into the world, his light was cast on the backside of the towering tablets known as the law. More specifically, the Old Covenant. Guess what? <laughs> the law was big. The law was scary. And it cast a menacing shadow of an impossible standard. That's what it did. It was bigger than Goliath. And Goliath was huge, over nine feet tall. This menacing shadow of the Ten Commandments, this menacing shadow of the law was in place. And Jesus is coming into the world to be born as a baby. And that light is coming into the world and is casting a shadow on the backside of the Old Covenant. Scary looking, impossible standard. And in order to make that shadow go away, Jesus either had to remove himself, the light of the world. Remember what I said? You got to have light and an object for a shadow. Or he had to remove the object. One of them has to go. What was the object again? According to what we just read, it was the law. If the light were removed, then all we would have would be darkness and we'd all be hopeless. We remain in darkness. There's no hope. But Jesus came to rescue us from the influence of dark shadows and hopelessness. Therefore, he abrogated the law. He disannulled the law. He took away the law. He abolished the law. It became obsolete, the scriptures say. Romans chapter 7, verse 5 and 6 in my closing scriptures. Look at these. For when we were in the realm of the flesh... The sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. How did Jesus release us from the law? Through the revelation of the good and perfect gift of grace that has come down from the Father of lights. That's how he releases you from the darkness. When you realize how good this gift is, how perfect this gift is, that I can't mess it up. When that revelation becomes your reality, it releases you from the dark shadows of your mind. In John chapter 12 and verse 46, Jesus said these words, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Not only puts their faith in Christ, but believes what those scriptures say about him. Believe what is written about him. And then my final scriptures, Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. <laughs> Look at these words. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Friends, the inspiration for this message comes from those two verses. The word dominion translates in the Greek as influence. 
And the word darkness translates in the Greek literally as dark shadows. So when we put that all together, it literally reads, for he has rescued us from the influence of dark shadows. Jesus is the one we owe everything to. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the message today are these. As believers, we have been rescued from the power, the authority, and the dominion of darkness. We have been translated into his dear son, the son he loves, the son of light. It's a place where shadows don't exist, only light. What kind of light am I talking about? I'm talking about the father of lights. The one who gives good and perfect gifts. The one that we don't have to be afraid of. The one in whom there is no variableness. Neither shadow of turning. Friends, our old self was crucified with Christ. Therefore, we are dead to sin. We are no longer a slave to sin. We no longer live under the law, but under grace. Let's ask the same rhetorical question that the Apostle Paul asked when he said, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Who will rescue me from the influence of darkness? Is it the law? No, he made his case. Is it I? Is it me? No. He said, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that is why Jesus would say, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Friends, through the light of Jesus, we have been rescued from the influence of dark shadows. In Jesus' name, amen. Daddy, I have ministered your word, and I pray that it brings freedom. So many people feel like they're so dark, and it's really what's going on in their minds. In our spirit, man, you have made us clean once for all. You have sealed us until the day of redemption. Nothing can get in, nothing gets out. We are perfect in Christ. Father, we have been delivered from the dominion, the realm, the region, the hold that darkness had on us. How did we get delivered? by Jesus Christ, the revelation of his light and his love living on the inside of us. So I'm so grateful, Daddy, as I think about the freedom that we have in Christ, that we're not running all over the place chasing shadows. We're not trying to beat them out and shout them out. We just run to Christ and we look into the mirror and we see our righteousness the righteousness that you gave us. We see the holiness that you gave us. We see the love that you gave us. We see the eternal forgiveness that you gave us. And we say, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And we say, I thank God that through Jesus Christ, I have been rescued. In Jesus' name, amen.